Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. The offseason's heating up once again, and another deadline's fast approaching. Teams have until Wednesday night to tender contracts to players on their 40-man roster, moves that generally impact players who are eligible for arbitration this winter. The Miami Marlins were quick to the trigger with their first move involving that deadline on Monday, designating for assignment starting pitcher Jose Urania and acquiring relief pitcher Adam Simber from the Cleveland Indians for cash considerations. Urania being DFA'd, quite honestly, it was only a mild surprise that it happened this soon. I mean, yes, he's a veteran presence. Yes, he has nearly 100 career starts to his name. But he was considered to be the Marlins' most likely candidate to be non-tendered by Wednesday's deadline for a multitude of reasons. One, he was going to be due about $4 million, according to projections by MLB Trade Rumors, who has done a great job over the last few years of figuring out the compensation that players off for arbitration are going to be getting. And secondly, his role is really uncertain at this point if he were to have stayed on the team. I mean, just take a quick look at the Marlins pitching depth right now, especially with their starters. You've got Sandy Alcantara. You've got Sixto Sanchez. You've got Pablo Lopez. You've got Eliezer Hernandez, Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, Nick Neidert, Edward Cabrera is on the rise. You have Robert Duggar and Jordan Yamamoto for the breaking glass emergency situations. You've got Jordan Holloway, Max Meyer, and George Guzman. I know I'm missing a bunch of others who are in the lower levels of the minors who are working their way up. They have the depth. They have the talent. They have the guys who they want to see as the future of this team, of this rotation, of this group that's going to be the backbone of this organization moving forward. And... For as much of the veteran presence that Jose Urania provided and the experience that he provided, it was just it was just becoming more and more known that his time was running out in terms of having that role in the rotation. Uh, that's not to mean that he didn't do much for the club over his time here. I mean, they signed him in 2008 as an international free agent. He's made he made his debut early in 2015. He was with the team for five years. Career 4-6 ERA, 142 games, including 98 starts. His 406 strikeouts were 12th in franchise history. But again, you started seeing, once Sandy Alcantara took that ace role, once Pablo Lopez stepped up, once Sixto Sanchez made his debut, you knew you had your top three right there. Eliezer Hernandez makes the great run. He's going to more than likely be penciled in as a starter. And are you really going to hold Jose Urania in that fifth spot when you have Trevor Rogers who made his debut? When you have Edward Cabrera nipping on his heels? It just, it made sense to move on at this point, give Urania a little bit more time to latch onto another team. And honestly, I wish Jose Urania nothing but the best. I My interactions with him over the last two plus years, I've never had a problem with the guy and he's always been straightforward. I know there were... It's everything that went on with the Braves fans, with everything that happened with between him and Ronald Acuna, and the bad blood with all of that, but that was probably the only instance of that nature with Urania. And now to move over to Adam Simber a little bit, he's an intriguing addition, at least in my mind. The one thing that you'll notice about him, he's a sidearm thrower. He got that movement by mimicking one-time Marlin Adam or Brad Ziegler. Sorry, Brad, for that mispronunciation earlier. But for mimicking him while Simber was in high school because when he was 13, 14, trying out for his high school team, he didn't have the size, he didn't have the velocity. So as the story goes, his dad told him, you're going to have to get creative if you want to make the team. 
So he started throwing sidearm. It worked for him in high school. It got him to the University of Washington. He spent three years there, then went to the University of San Francisco, got drafted in the ninth round by the Padres, made his debut in 18, got traded midway through the 2018 season along with Brad Hand to the Cleveland Indians, and he was there for the last two-plus seasons. Overall, I mean, he has experience. 152 career appearances over three seasons, a 3.89 ERA, 104 strikeouts against 38 walks. Interestingly enough, um, almost 30% of those walks are intentional walks, 11 of the 38, including 9 in 2018, which tied the league for Major League Baseball that year. He had a little bit of trouble this year. Uh, 11, only 11 in the third innings in 14 games, about 4 ERA. Opponents almost hit 300 against him. Be interesting to see how he can adjust. I'm, I want to say that the three batter minimum sort of had an impact on him because he is a lot better against righties than he is against lefties. So having to go with three batters and not necessarily be in there for the one out, two out, sort of the opposite of a loogie, it may have had a little of impact on him. But when you have Mel Salamire's pitching coach, you'll, it'll be interesting to see how he can help him out and sort of see how we can get him to develop or how they, the Marlins can get him to develop. As for his repertoire, he has three pitches. He's got a four-seamer, a sinker, and a slider. The four-seam is almost exclusively used against left-handers uh, based on the pitching pitch tracking by StatCast and Baseball Savant. He threw his four-seamer 88% of the time against lefties against just 12% of the time with righties. The sinker, it's primarily used against righties, 90% of the time versus 10%. And as for his velo, you're not going to see too much of it. Uh, both of his fastballs, the four-seamer and the sinker, are about 85 miles an hour. The slider averages somewhere between 75 and 77. But with the fact that the Marlins have so many high velo guys between Sandy Sixto, eventually Edward in the starting rotation, Trevor Rogers has some heat, and then guys in your back end with guys like Ryan Stanick and even Jeff Brigham showed some pop late last year. Having that guy who can sort of flip speeds on you can actually be a pretty good benef benefit. In addition to the fact of the funky delivery, that can make you a that can make him an intriguing prospect to be your guy for the sixth inning, seventh inning, which is sort of the role that he's held throughout his entire career up to this point. And if we're going to be honest, the Marlins need as much bullpen help as they can get. I mean, they're without Brad Boxberger. They're without Brandon Kinsler. Both of them are free agents. Yimmy Garcia is the only guy who you regularly had in the 7th, 8th, ninth innings. You have Richard Blyard. You have James Hoyt. Both of them were good in their limited spots for their quick outs in the high leverage situations. We'll see if their roles get expanded a little bit more. And we'll see if the Marlins do end up getting some guys in free agency. I mean, there are, I mean the free agent relief pitcher market is flooded at this point and they're bound to be able to get at least one or two guys on pretty decent deals and especially now that you don't have the four and a half million you're going to spend on jose urania it gives them a little bit more flexibility than they already had to try to find ways to up to improve this roster and they're going to need to do something to find a way to continue improving as they try to get into 2021 to build off the momentum they had from last year's playoff run. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. 
Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And to keep with this theme, we're going to touch base on the rest of the guys they have going into arbitration. They have, by my count, they have... One, two, three, four. They have seven other guys, and they have seven other guys, eight total. Simber is up for arbitration. He's going to be basically paid about 800000 or at least that's what he should be, he is projected to be earning. So the eight hundred compared to $4.5 million, that gives, still gives him a net gain of about $3.7 million from the trade in DFA. The biggest news that's going to happen, or the biggest thing to watch for, over these next couple days as we head into Wednesday night's deadline is what the Marlins do with their two first basemen who are up for arbitration. Both Jesus Aguilar and Garrett Cooper are up for arbitration. Aguilar is going into his third year of ARB. He's estimated to be due around four-ish million dollars. And that's after having a pretty good year for the Marlins. He was a big piece of their offense, especially early when they were down about a third of their roster due to COVID. Uh, Aguilar hit 277 on the year, eight home runs, 34 RBI, and 8.8 or an 8.9 OPS. He's really starting to look like the guy from 2018 who made that run as an all-star that the Marlins were hoping to get when they acquired him via trade. Also, or claimed him off waivers, I should say. Also, fittingly enough, at the arbitration non-tender deadline last year, but. Meanwhile, you also have Garrett Cooper, who he'll be slated to be making somewhere around $1.5 to $2 million. And it was pretty evident that once Cooper returned from from the being sidelined from COVID-19, that he was going to be their guy at first base. At least for the time being, they still have Leywin Diaz waiting in the wings, and his development is going to be very instrumental for what they end up doing moving forward in the 2021 but back to Cooper for a second. He hit 283 this year. 14 of his 30 hits were extra base hits. Eight doubles, six home runs. Drove in 20 runs. He had 20 RBI. And the most telling thing, at least from my mind, when they got into the playoffs, Cooper started four of the five games at first base. Jesus Aguilar was a designated hitter for four of the five games. And there's still so much uncertainty about whether there's going to be a designated hitter this year. If there isn't, the Marlins will have a serious logjam at first base with Garrett Cooper, Jesus Aguilar, and Lewin Diaz. Cooper and Aguilar, for the most part, they fill the same role. Power hitting, right-handed first baseman. Both of them are good with getting on base. Both of them are good at coming in clutch with big, with the home run or the big hit in key situations. But you also have Lewin Diaz, a left-handed option that will help you platoon with whoever you end up ultimately choosing if they end up choosing one of the two. And... If you're able to flip one of the two guys when you know that one of them is going to be an odd man out anyway, the Marlins are probably going to have to bite that and find a way to find another guy who can give you some pop at another position. To fi- Maybe it's finding a guy getting another catcher, building up some more depth in the minor leagues, which the Marlins will never stop doing as they continue to find a sustainable route. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do. 
my ultimate prediction is that both are going to get tendered, and then we're going to see how things progress through the rest of the offseason, whether it's something that happens at winter meetings next week, or as we get closer to spring training, they decide to pull the trigger and ship off one of the two. But now to touch base quickly on the rest of the guys in arbitration. The rest of the guys, it's more or less should be no-brainer choices uh, to decide to tender them and make sure they stay with the team with through arbitration. First up, Brian Anderson, about the $2.5 million range. It's a no-brainer. He's our top homegrown player. Three solid seasons so far. He's our third baseman of the future. Andy with a career 266 batting average, 42 home runs, 177 RBI. He was a gold glove finalist at third base last year. And to do that in the National League, it's it's a pretty impressive feat. And Andy's only getting better. He struggled early on in 2020. And then something happened. He just clicked and finally looked like the guy from 2019 before he had the fractured hand and had to miss the final month of that season. He's looked, He seems like he still hasn't hit his peak yet. And if the Marlins can continue to build around him at the hot corner, it's going to be a it's gonna be a really good move for them as they continue to progress. And also just to point out the obvious, the Marlins really don't have much third base depth in the organization. So even if there was something slightly in the back of their mind about what they're gonna do, obviously Brian Anderson's getting tender, getting his money, and they're gonna keep moving with him. Uh catcher Jorge Alfaro, he's projected between 1.5 and 1.7 million dollars. That's still a no-brainer. Yes, Alfaro has a lot of improvement to make. He needs to work on his pitch frame. He needs to work on his defense. He needs to lower that swing and miss and strikeout rate. But when you have the power like like he has and you have the three more years control with him, you go for it. $1.5 million, especially knowing what some other catchers who are going to be in his range are going to be going for on the open market, it's not that... It's a pretty solid deal there. And also... Like with third base, the Marlins really don't have much depth to catcher. They have Jorge Alfaro and Chad Wallach right now, both of whom, as the roster currently stands, are looking like they'd be their two guys for opening day. The two of them split time toward the end of last season, Wallach working more defensively and being able to work with the catchers, or work with the pitchers, I should say. But that's really all they have. Their top catching prospect, Will Banfield, from what we've heard, he did really well at both the alternate training site and during their during their instructional league, but he still hasn't gone above Class A. He still has a lot of time to grow and marinate and improve in the minors, and the Marlins need him to need to give him those couple years to develop and not rush him. So as of right now, give Alfaro the one and a half million and hope that you can find something with him to. Hopefully, hopefully have that light turn on and he can continue to make the improvements that we saw in spurts over the last two years but need to see on a more consistent basis. And then the final three are a, a trio of relievers in Richard Blyer, Ryan Stanek, and Yumi Garcia. And I'm going to clump all of them together in addition to uh, Adam Simber. The four of them combined, Blyer's projected about $1.1 million. Stanek and Simber are projected about $800,000 apiece. And Yimmy Garcia is projected about between $1.4 and $1.8 million. That combined, if you give it with the high, high road with Yimmy Garcia, that's $4.5 million. That's $4.5 million. Essentially, the four of them together are being paid what Jose Urania was being projected to be paid. And that gives you four solid pieces to work on your, rota- your bullpen with. 
you have uh, you have at Simber and Blyer who can be your sixth, seventh inning guys, or your guys that come in for the with a key situation early in the game when you have when you have to ride the bullpen for a few innings. Jimmy Garcia is going to be in the back end, whether he comes out as the closer or is still in that seventh or eighth inning role. He's one of the guys you have to make sure is there for your high leverage situations. He is he stepped up and was one of the best guys to watch from a bullpen perspective last season. And I'm looking forward to seeing how much he improves going into next year. And Ryan Stanek, he only threw 10 innings this year. COVID shut him down for a bulk of the year, and it took him a while to get back. The Marlins are still really high on him from when they traded for him, along with Jesus Sanchez when they got him from the Rays for uh, Trevor Richards and Nick Anderson back in the trade deadline back in 2019. They're so optimistic that his pure stuff, his 95-plus mile-an-hour fastball, will be able to work in the bullpen, work in late innings. And who knows, With unless they go out and sign a couple guys, he very well could be your guy who's in the 7th or 8th inning this year, depending on how spring training goes and how they end up forming that bullpen. So, again, first base, what they do with Aguilar and Cooper, it's going to be interesting to watch. Everything else should play out as expected. And the other thing to watch out for is if the Marlins decide to make any last-minute trade acquisitions at this deadline. They did it last year. They got Jesus Aguilar last year off of waivers when the Rays decided DFA him. They traded for Jonathan VR from the Baltimore Orioles for a lower-level minor league pitcher. I can easily see them trying to find moves depending on who gets DFA'd over the next 24 hours to see or who might just not make a roster and could very well be non-tender by another team that the Marlins try to swoop in, work out of their depth. They've got loads of outfield talent, loads of pitcher talent that they might be able to sneak a deal in right before the deadline to try to beef up the system a little more. They've been creative with it the last couple of years. And honestly, nothing would surprise me as we get to that point and the next 24 hours, as we get into Wednesday night, it's going to be interesting to watch, and then it'll it's just going to set the stage as we move forward in the offseason. We have winter meetings starting up next week. They're all virtual, so there's going to be no no ballroom, hallway, hallway watching, agent talking for me next week in Dallas like it originally was supposed to be. But there's still going to be meetings going on. There's still going to be discussions being had. The Rule 5 draft caps off that, caps off everything next weekend. And then we'll be about two and a half months away from the season starting. So we're getting closer. We still have a long way to go, but with each passing deadline, with each passing offseason moment, we're getting closer to the return to baseball, to the return to 2021 spring training and being able to see what the Marlins will be able to do as they try to continue what they've been doing, what they did in 2020 and try to see if they can make this playoff push. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks again for listening to Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, and we'll be back at some point next week with updates from winter meeting discussions. Thanks so much, everyone.